0: open your Bibles once again to John chapter 3 this morning. And I do pray that the song we just sang is an accurate prayer of your own heart to the Lord in light of the passages we've been looking at in recent weeks. The close of John chapter 2 and into John chapter 3. i want to read a quote once again that I read last Lord's Day from J.C. Ryle. Some of you are using this as a resource in correlation with our preaching series. And so you probably read this yourself, but for those of us who have have not, Ryle says this about the passage we continue to look at this morning. The conversation between Christ and Nicodemus, which begins with John chapter 3, is one of the most important passages in the whole Bible Nowhere else do we find stronger statements about those two mighty subjects, the new birth and salvation by faith in the Son of God. The servant of Christ will do well to make himself thoroughly acquainted with this chapter. A man may be ignorant of many things in religion and still be saved, but to be ignorant of the matters at hand in this chapter is to be The broad way which leads to destruction. Again, for many of us this morning, as we look at the story of Nicodemus, we've likely never taken the time to look at this text with the gravity that Ryle exhorts us to. But Ryle is exactly right when he said, Salvation does not come by knowledge. You don't have to know certain things in order to be saved, but you do have to know certain fundamental things. That if you don't know these things in your life and your thinking and your theology does not line up with these things, no matter what else you know, you cannot be saved. And that's where John chapter 3 falls in. John chapter 3 is integral to understanding the true gospel and what it means to truly be born again. Well, we began introducing this passage last Lord's Day. And you may remember, though we've started John chapter 3, if you look back to John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, we have the masses who are following Jesus. They're professing faith in Jesus. This is the man sent from God. This is the Messiah. We believe in Him. They're professing faith in Him. But Jesus, verse 24, chapter 2, on his heart, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. Why? Because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Here we saw that staggering and sobering statement that just because someone professes faith in Jesus doesn't mean Jesus entrusts himself to them savingly. This is a sobering word from the Lord to our generation, where everybody, it seems, professes faith in Jesus. They're almost offended today. If you ask them if they love Jesus or follow Jesus, 2:23 through25 gives us warrant every one of us to consider our own lives. And chapter 3 follows because Nicodemus is now exhibit A of what Jesus just said. Nicodemus, let's set the scene, comes to Jesus by night. Nicodemus is a religious man, a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, a prominent teacher, a teacher of the law. He believes the right things about Jesus. As he approaches Jesus, he says right things about Jesus. Jesus, rabbi, teacher, we realize you're a man who's come from God. We've seen the miracles you do. Only God could do these things. We recognize you are the Messiah. We recognize God is with you, Jesus. And we said there, everything Nicodemus said was absolutely true. And yet Jesus says to this man, Truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless you be born again, born from above, you will not see the kingdom of God. And we wanted to try to bring that home a little bit. We talked about how when we're talking to even our own hearts, but when we're talking to family and friends and we're we're concerned about their salvation, how quick are we to accept a profession of faith when they say the very same things Nicodemus said? Like when we're talking to a co-worker or something, you know... uh, Do you have assurance of your salvation? Well, yes, I believe Jesus is Lord. I believe he's a good teacher who's sent from God. I believe the miracles he did. I believe uh, God is with him. I believe he's the Messiah. I believe he died on the cross. And we accept that as though, well, they said all the right things. I feel better now. You said the things I would say to be uh, as what a Christian is, and so we accept it. Those are the very things Nicodemus here says. And Jesus says, I don't accept any of it. In light of, unless you be born again, you set all the right things, but you will not see the kingdom of God. We looked last week at the necessity of being born from above. Because in spite of all the right answers Nicodemus had, and the right things he had to say about Jesus, three times Jesus says to him, verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, man who knows all the right answers, and just profess faith in me, Unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 5, again, Jesus answers him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And again, down at verse 7, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Member of the Sanhedrin, man who knows all the right things, man who teaches Sunday school, man who preaches, you're a teacher of the law. He comes to Jesus. Jesus is very clear to Nicodemus about the necessity of being born again. And that's what we looked at last Lord's Day from verses 1 through 3. This morning, we turn our attention to verses 4 through 8 and focus upon another aspect of being born again, truly born again, born from above. And this morning, we look at the impossibility of being born again. Now, let me clarify that. The impossibility of being born again by your efforts. The impossibility of being born again by your efforts. That's the title of the message this morning. And just here's what the message is. You cannot make yourself born again. You can't do it. There is no nothing you do. Zero. Look up here. See this? Zero. Nothing. Absolutely nothing you can do to accomplish what only God can do. God and God alone gives the new birth. The work of God in the soul of man is required for the salvation of the soul salvation is solely the work of God. And this is one of those things Ryle is saying. You don't have to know everything to be a Christian, but you have to know and understand and your life has to reflect this or you cannot enter the kingdom of God because that's exactly what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. So once again, verses four through eight, we're learning that to be born again is holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, entirely the work of God. And we're going to see the reasons why. Let's read the text together. Looking together, John chapter 3. I'll begin reading in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who was born of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Well, once again, let's seek the Lord. Father, we come to you today. We are Nicodemus, every one of us in need of a salvation that only you can do. Father, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to believe. Overcome the resistance of our flesh. Help us to understand the gospel of God that we might forsake. Everything, all of our efforts, all of our knowledge, all of our works, all of our self-righteousness, all of our efforts to keep the law. And we might look solely to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. The impossibility of being born again by your Efforts. Four reasons, four explanations of why that is the case in our text. Number one, being born again, born from above, born by God is entirely the work of God. Number one, because faith is a gift that only God can give. Now, stay with me on this first point. This one will be longer than some of the other ones. And I need you to, you've got to, to put your thinking cap on, not because it's hard, but because it's so foreign to where most the Christianity that some of us grew up in. Being born again is entirely the work of God because faith is a gift that only God can give. Jesus says to Nicodemus in verse 3: Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus hears that phrase, born again, and immediately he misunderstands, right? Probably like many of us, you hear being born again, we immediately think of physical birth. Nicodemus' heart misunderstands Jesus. Jesus is talking about a spiritual birth, a rebirth from that God gives to a soul, a soul that's in darkness, a soul that is dead, a soul that can do nothing for God that does not love God, that does not want God. In fact, if we go back to John chapter 1, it loves darkness. It hates Christ. Jesus, when he's talking about being born again, he's talking about bringing, birthing life into that soul spiritually so that that which was once dead comes to life. Nicodemus thinks he's talking about a physical birth. And so he, that's how, wh- why he responds in verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And the Greek kind of hints at there's ridicule in Nicodemus' words here. It's kind of, he's incredulous. He's like, surely, surely, Jesus, you can't be saying, here I am, a grown man. I'm supposed to enter back into my mother's womb and be born again. I mean, that's kind of where Nicodemus is. But here's what we need to understand. We're going need to take the whole context into view. Jesus is not a poor communicator, all right? It's not like Jesus, oh, man, maybe Jesus picked a wrong metaphor here. Maybe he could have picked something better because Nicodemus, no, no, go back to chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. What do we know about Jesus? He knows every man, woman, and child's heart perfectly, which means he knows Nicodemus' heart perfectly. He knows exactly what to say, how to say it in such a way that it's going to reveal what's in Nicodemus' heart. So Jesus is not communicating poorly here. The excellency of Christ or one attribute of Christ's excellencies is that he knows every one of our hearts perfectly. And he knows even before this encounter with Nicodemus what's in Nicodemus' heart. And he knows exactly how Nicodemus is going to respond. All right, you've got to grasp this. If you rush through this, you're just going to see smart aleck Nicodemus giving a smart aleck answer and Jesus having to fix smart aleck Nicodemus. That is not what's happening here. You have the wisdom of Almighty Christ who knows the heart of Nicodemus and gives the perfect metaphor to Nicodemus. In fact, it's designed to elicit the exact response that Nicodemus gives in verse 4. So, instead of seeing verse 4, surely you can't expect me to go back into my... and rushing through that, because Jesus knew how Nicodemus is going to respond. That's the context, isn't it? Jesus knows what's in the heart of every individual perfectly. He knows exactly how Nicodemus is... Jesus intentionally brought Nicodemus to this response, Where does that tell us? We need to spend some time on this response. This is where Christ intended Nicodemus to be. Now, I have heard on numerous occasions by various stalwarts of the faith that have ministered to me that when you're talking to another person or even when you're evaluating your own soul, there is a diagnostic question that you can ask someone or you can ask your own soul that will spiritually diagnose their understanding of the gospel. There is a diagnostic question you can ask, and their response will immediately tell you how they understand the gospel. And the question is simply this, how do you know you're a Christian? Answer that, how do you know you're a Christian? Keep it to yourself. I've given you enough time. A person will answer that question one of two ways. How do you know you're a Christian? First words out of their mouth will be either, well, I did this. On this date, at this time, at this place, I prayed a prayer. I was baptized. I walked the aisle. I did this. Or they will answer something like this. How do you know you're you're saved? Because God. Because God, by grace and mercy in Christ Jesus, has sent His Son to do for me what I can't do for myself. And I'm saved Not through works of righteousness I have done, but through Christ and Christ alone. You see, the question, how do you know you're a Christian, immediately reveals whether you have a works-based understanding of the gospel or a Christian-based, a faith-based understanding of salvation. And you can right now evaluate yourself. How did you respond in that moment? When I ask you, how do you know you're a Christian? Just be honest with yourself. Did you, did your first, did you, was the reflex of your heart to go to God in Christ? Or was the reflex of your heart to go to yourself? And here's the danger. You're, if you went that way first, you're probably going to try to convince yourself. Well, I went to myself first, but it was uh, to get to Christ. No, no, no. That, <laughs> that's not it. The diagnosis is if you go to something you did first, Your understanding of the gospel is workspace. And I'll be honest, you're in good company. Probably everybody in this room is. Stay with me. If you're paying attention to Nicodemus' words, this diagnostic question that Jesus asks Nicodemus, Nicodemus exposes his understanding of the gospel. Or we should say Jesus exposes for Nicodemus his understanding of the gospel. What we have here is Nicodemus, he hears Jesus' words, you must be born again, and where does he immediately go to? Are you saying, I need to go back into my mother's womb? Don't run past that. That's not just a smart aleck answer. Jesus, who knows the hearts of all men, he's just said that. He's wanting Nicodemus to see what he already knows about Nicodemus' heart and probably about most of our hearts this morning. Our basic understanding of salvation is works-based, it's based on our efforts, and you will not see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is in this moment stumped by Jesus. His whole world has been turned upside down. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, absolute confidence in himself confidence in his heritage, his family, his Jewish heritage. He's a teacher of the law. He's he's absolutely, he believes in his heart. He has met all the requirements for entrance into the kingdom of God, probably like many of us this morning. Like I said, many in our day are offended when they have a preacher stand up and challenge a basic understanding of salvation. Nicodemus is confronted with the possibility that what he thought was his sure way into the kingdom of God was not at all. And Nicodemus is confronted, there is an alternative way, the only way to gain access into the kingdom of God. It is to be born from above. Nicodemus, let's be honest, probably like some of us this morning, did not have a category for this in his life. Some of you, I anticipate, are hearing this, and you're cringing, and you're shrugging your shoulders, and you're probably trying to to convince yourself, I'm crazy, and you're right. And I will just turn you to J.C. Ryle and say, that's a dangerous game to play. You get into the text. You get into the text and see what the Lord is doing here. is he not exposing a works-based, effort-based confidence in your place in the kingdom on something Nicodemus has done or you have done? He's exposing that, and he's flushing it down the toilet. And that's why Nicodemus is so confused, maybe like some of us this morning. So stumped, so confused. And Nicodemus's only reaction to what Jesus said, the only way he can fathom entrance into the kingdom of God is something he does he can't think of anything else and so he says to Jesus I can't go back into my mother's womb again that's that's crazy he's still trying to find something that he can do probably like some of us this morning let's pause here for just a moment Because we see in Nicodemus something that's true for every human being. Two great obstacles to being born again, born from above. Two things that make this so difficult to grasp and believe. Number one, outward works-based religion. Growing up in a generation, a culture, and this has been true of our American landscape, the Christian landscape for the better part of probably 150 years, 200 years. We were born into a Christian culture that focused upon outward, externals, outward morality. Go to church. Do this. Do that. Don't overthink it. It doesn't matter if your soul's not into it. Just you do it. You go. That's a religion that is not from God. I mean, you know that if you just stop and think about it. Jesus among the seven churches in Asia Minor is going around. That church is gathered. They are doing. But what does he say? I spit you out of my mouth. Why? Because I'm looking at your heart. I look at your heart and your heart is dead to me. Dead to my word. Dead to the work of my spirit. But we've grown up in a generation of of religion where all we know is you just you play a part in a play. You go to church. You do church stuff. You be a good moral person, a generous person, a kind person, all of which are good things, but none of them are biblical Christianity. None of them, in and of themselves, make you or evidence of your place in the kingdom of God. We need to hear that this morning. If you're thinking this morning, well, at my place, and what is your hope in your salvation? Well, I prayed to receive Christ, I was baptized, and since that time, I've been a good person, I've been a good church attender, I preached at the church, I was a pastor, I was a Sunday school teacher, I was a deacon, I was a good faithful member, I was a good tither, I did this. Heed the words of Christ to Nicodemus, you must be born from above. None of that stuff matters, not a one of it. This is why on that day, many people are arguing with Jesus. When he says, depart from me, I never knew you. But look at my record of rights and and, and righteousness and what I did, my external religion. And he says, I never knew you. And he knows our hearts, right? Outward religion is the death of a biblical understanding of the new birth. For Nicodemus, like some of you right now, he can't understand this. He can't fathom this. This rocks his world. Everything he marched up to Jesus, standing on confidently, Jesus has now cut his legs out from underneath him. And he is lying down on the ground, stumped with no hope. And I will tell you this, that's the perfect place to be. That's where some of us need to be this morning. Judaism failed Nicodemus. His works-based religion failed him in the face of Jesus. And beloved brother or sister, I promise you, your external religion will fail you in the face of Jesus. Your righteousness will fail you in the face of Jesus. There is no place in the kingdom of God for someone who's going to try to find their place based on something they've done. And the second great obstacle to a biblical understanding of the new birth, number one, external religion. And if we follow that down more fundamentally, the depravity of man. The depravity of man. This morning, because I'm right here with you, you may really be struggling right now. You may really be struggling. Struggling to believe these things are true. Struggling to believe that this is real. The problem is not John chapter 3. The problem is not my interpretation of it. The problem is the depravity of man. What is depravity? It's the effects of sin upon the whole of your person. Every person, Paul tells us, is born in sin and death. We are depraved, totally depraved. And sin affects everything that we are and everything that we do. Every facet, every faculty of our mind, of our thinking, is corrupt with sin. It's polluted by sin. You can't do anything or touch anything, even religion, and it not be tainted with your sin, which is why external religion is no key into the kingdom of God. Nicodemus needed to hear this, and we need to hear this too. All of our minds, all of our thoughts, all of our opinions, all of our beliefs, they are depraved. We live in a day today where we, especially as we mature and grow, we think we've reached a point, I've got a good idea, I've got a good clue on things. Your thinking is always tainted with depravity, with sin, always. All of your heart, your feelings, your emotions is corrupted by sin. All of your actions, the things you do, the, the things you accomplish, everything is corrupted by sin. And I hope you can see in this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, Nicodemus's fundamental problem, yes, is his, his tie to his religious system and thinking that would save him, but more fundamentally, The reason he's stumped by Jesus, the reason he can't understand this, the reason he's so turned upside down is because of the presence of sin in his life. He has no mental category for salvation by grace. Salvation, that's not something he does. It's something God does for you. Man's pride is tainted with sin. And we want to create a God sinfully that's more accommodating to us. Nicodemus is dumbfounded like many of us may be this morning. Not because we're not intellectually smart enough to handle this. Because of sin. Sin that pollutes our thinking. And sin resists God. It resists his gospel. It resists his ways. The point here is this. Hidden in verse 4 in Nicodemus's response is this. I got to do something to enter the kingdom. But I can't enter my mother's womb a second time, can I? So what do I do? He's searching, he's grasping, which is the natural inclination of man. Even you this morning may be searching, well, what do I do? Jesus' answer, nothing. And Beloved, I promise you, I know some of us this morning, you're, you're going to wrestle with that. You're going to cringe at that. I can't go to my mother's. What do I do? Answer, nothing. To quote Ryle, I keep going back to Ryle because many of us are, are using him, but we could turn to others as well. But Ryle says this, there is nothing which the heart of man in every part, in every age of the world is so slow to understand as the work of the Holy Spirit. Because this is Jesus's response to Nicodemus in verse four. I can't enter my mother's womb. What do I do? Nothing. Salvation is a gift of God. Faith, even. Repentance and faith is not something you do. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. We probably know these by heart, but we have failed to, to think through what they mean. For by grace you have been saved through faith. So there's the faith. But what about that faith? This is not your own doing. You've been saved by grace through faith, Paul says, but that faith is not your own doing. Where does it come from? It is the gift of God not a result of works. So it's not like God looks down and says, hmm, this person's so close, so close. I'm going to bump them over. I'm going to give them faith to believe. No, no, not of works you have done. Why? So that no one may boast. No one can say, I believe I'm better than somebody else. You're not going to rob God of that glory. How is one born again from above? You do nothing. God does everything. He gets the glory. And you can go all the way back to Genesis 1. You can look at the law, the Ten Commandments. Is that not? God's whole purpose in creating a world is for His glory. Paul tells us as he ministers this gospel around to different areas. Probably like some of you this morning. Slow to believe, slow to receive. Paul, right now, as he's ministering, he's he's going around and and, and ministering, and people are having difficulty believing. And here's Paul's own explanation. Listen to me. If you're having difficulty this morning, here's the reason why. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 A natural man does not accept the things of the Holy Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them. So if you're struggling this morning, you're in good company. The natural man can't understand these things. Because Paul says they are, quote, spiritually appraised. When we confront people with this gospel, there's always going to be difficulty and confusion. Why? Because we're, the gospel goes against every fiber of their being. This morning, right now, maybe this, what Jesus is presenting to Nick, maybe it's going against every fiber of your being. Scripture says you and I are helpless and hopeless and can do nothing. We're dead in trespasses and sins. The Bible says there's nothing good within us. There's nothing, no desire for God within us. Sin has separated us from God. We don't long for God. We don't want God. So how does anyone ever profess faith in this Christ? The work of God. The grace of God. For Nicodemus... In this moment, everything he stood upon, Jesus took away from him. All his religion, all his works, everything in this moment standing before the face of Emmanuel, God with us, everything has failed him. And beloved, lest you think, this is just so ugly, this is so painful. This is, Jesus, the one who knows all hearts, knows what's in the heart of Nicodemus, and may I submit to you, knows what's in your heart this morning. Knows perfectly, better than you know what's in your heart. He frames this in such a way that brings Nicodemus to this place. He's got to be confronted with his whole understanding of a right relationship with God is flawed, it's faulty, and it will not lead to eternal life. It will lead to eternal damnation. And if you're here struggling this morning, you're in a good, good place. Don't fight it, don't resist it. Ask God to open your eyes to see what has always been but that in our generation, what Paul says in the, to the church at Galatia, a whole other gospel, which is no gospel at all. Go and look at Galatians. It's a gospel of works, of what you must do. How do you know you're a Christian? Well, I do this. I'm that. Paul spends all of the book of Galatians deconstructing that, just as Jesus is doing here in the life of Nicodemus. It's no gospel at all. What you and I need to enter the kingdom of God, humble yourself in here. What you and I need to enter the kingdom of God, you and I cannot obtain ourselves. Only God can do it. And it's, it's hitting us in the face right here. And what I find astounding in passages like this, when we spend time here and how irate people get about this sometimes This is not not the first time this has come up. Even in John's own gospel, he's he's, he's already spoken about this in John chapter 1. To all who did receive Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Those who received him, who did profess faith in his name, how did they get there? They were born of God. So John chapter 3 is simply, again, he's restating what he's already said. And if you go back and read the Old Testament, the New Covenant promises, this is exactly what God promised through his prophets he was going to do through the Holy Spirit and the salvation of an individual. Children of God are born of God. Not of blood, not of the will of the flesh. God's the one who births them, gives them the new birth. Faith is a gift of God. Repentance is a gift of God. You cannot be born again unless God does it. It's not something we do, it's not something we choose. It's not an exercise of your will. And beloved, if by God's grace, you've been born from above to see God's holiness, your depravity, the beauty of Christ, the fullness of his person and work, and that in him is everything that you need. And now you've been given by grace a heart that loves him, that will do everything necessary to have him, Because God has given you this heart to see. Rejoice in Him. Glorify Him. Give Him all the credit. Nicodemus had all the works, all the pedigree, all the heredity. But what he did not have, a place in the kingdom of God. Because he couldn't be born from above. Being born again is wholly the work of God because faith is a gift of God. Secondly, being born again is wholly the work of God because only God can cleanse us from sin. Verse 5, Jesus answers him in John chapter 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one... Verse 5, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus here is explaining to Nicodemus what he means by being born again. All right, you can go and you can see the same language that he sees up in verse. He's not adding a requirement to it. He's not saying in verse 3, you must be born again. And then, oh, by the way, the next step is this, is you must be cleansed by water. He's explaining what verse 3 is in verse 5. And to do it, he uses a word picture that Nicodemus should have known. He uses a word picture here that Nicodemus, as a, a student of the of the Word of God, a teacher of the law, should have been familiar with. And the picture is being born of water in the Spirit, which means throughout the Old Testament, being born of God. In Ezekiel chapter 37, excuse me, chapter 36, one of the great new covenant passages where God reveals what He will do in the life of His people to bring them to salvation, right? If you go all the way back to Israel's history, they said all, that the Lord we will, all the Lord has said we will do. Did they do it? No, they couldn't do it. So how in the world will this people be faithful to God? How will this relationship of salvation work? God says, I'm, I'm going to have to do for them what they cannot do, what no human can do. You can say with our lips over and over, I'm going to obey the Lord. I'm going to be faithful to him. I love him with all my heart. And then we turn around and we sin against him. So God says, I'm going to give a new heart. Ezekiel chapter 36, I will take from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And here's what he says he would do. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart. What is their role in that? Nothing. I give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. That heart, that, to use New Testament language, that heart that loves darkness and hates Christ, that heart that's religious and knows a lot of things about God, but not from here, I will remove that. And give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit, capital S, my Holy Spirit within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What's he saying there? That's always been the standard. Life lived under God is a life of devotion and love and faithfulness and worship and obedience from the heart. We obey because we love him. So if we disobey, what's the problem? It's not because I'm, well, I mean, fundamentally I'm a bad person. It's because I don't love him enough. In that moment, when I disobey God, my problem is I'm not loving him enough. I'm letting my flesh, which I love more than God, win out. And I'm going to disobey. I'm going to do what the flesh wants to do instead of what God wants me to do. Does that make sense? disobedience is not so much doggone it I did it again disobedience is in that moment of unfaithfulness my heart is telling me I I can claim with my lips I love God but my actions reveal I do not love God enough so how will one become faithful and obedient unto God they need a new heart a heart that will love him and and conquer their rebellious side and live a life of faithfulness to him. That's what the new birth is. This is the new covenant. You go to Jeremiah, he says the exact same thing. Here in Ezekiel, he says it. You can go and look at the bringing life to the desert of dry bones. That's exactly, that's a, a metaphor of what he's talking about here. When the Spirit breathes life into those dead bones, understand those dead bones are you and me. And he brings a new heart that will cause you to walk in my statutes, to love me. Because the heart I give you is a heart that loves me. Where do you get that heart from? You don't get it from me. You don't get it from going to church. You don't create it yourself. Where where does God Himself say they're going to get the heart? He says, What? I will remove the old one and I will put this one inside of you. I just read from Ezekiel. That is not the first time Jesus has, has talked about that. That's been all throughout the Old Testament. And He comes to Nicodemus. You say you're a teacher of the law and you don't understand what I'm saying? Right? Skip down. Isn't that what Jesus says? How can these things be, is what Nicodemus asks him in verse 9. And Jesus just confronts him. Are you a teacher of the law of Israel? And you don't understand these things? What's Jesus saying there? This is not new. This is who I've always been. This has always been what my gospel is. Nicodemus, I'm exposing you and exposing just how far away your understanding of me is This has been in this book from the beginning. Those of us who've read through the Bible, we have read this countless times. And Jesus is asking us, have you not understood what the gospel is? What must you do to be saved? You're you're saying, I did this, I did that. How have you not understood this? I've told you. Holy Spirit is the one I send to accomplish this. And Paul writes in Titus chapter 3, he saved us. Not because of works of righteousness done by us, but according to his own mercy. How? By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, we continue to want to fight the gospel. How how do you be saved? Well, you need to do this. Repent. We as a church... repent. The answer to the question, how is one saved, is never you do this or you do that. It's never that. That's a false gospel. It is always look to God, cry out to God, plead with God, beg God to do what only He can do in your life. And I promise you, if someone is even beginning to ask those questions, it's not because they're becoming spiritual. It's because God is already at work in their life in various ways. Being born again is wholly the work of God because only God can cleanse us from sin. Only God can deal with this sin problem, and he does so through regeneration, through the new birth, the new covenant, taking out that heart of sin and giving us a new heart. In Jesus Christ. Is that how you're trying to deal with your sin problem? If you're an unbeliever this morning, maybe you've relied upon your works, you've relied upon your activity. You're trying to deal with your sin in your way. I will do this. I will do that. This week, I'm going to do better. This week, this morning, I'm writing in my journal. I want to commit to this this week. Listen, I'm a fan of journaling. I don't do it very much. I don't do it very well. But hey, feel free. I think it's a great thing. But if you can go back and read in your journal a series of today, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Rip the pages out and throw it away. Ask God to give you what he's giving to Nicodemus here. A lesson that's, it's not hard. It's really not. The difficulty for us is it's foreign. What you're battling this morning, what I'm battling, what Nicodemus is battling, is not this is hard to understand. What we're battling is, this is not the gospel I was taught. This is not the gospel I was raised with. And it goes to what so many in our culture today, as we're looking at, in, even in our day today, many who are, who are drifting away from the faith, yet very clearly they can look back upon a season in their life where they did all the right things. They walked the aisle, they prayed the prayer, they were baptized, they did this, and yet they feel completely comfortable walking away from the faith with assumption that they can fix it when the time comes. That's not the gospel. It's never been the gospel. And this morning, for you and I this morning, I'm having to stop here in the middle of this message we'll pick up here next week. There's more reasons why we're thinking about the impossibility of the new birth by our own efforts. It's only of God. It's because for most of us, God forgive us. We've been preaching a different gospel. That's no gospel at all. I would simply ask you to bow your heads this morning. Here in the quality of the room, I fully anticipate. I can see it on faces. Confusion, concern. Struggle. Kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting some of the looks I'm seeing are exactly what Nicodemus's face looked like as Jesus was confronting these things in his life. But here's what every one of us have to wrestle with. Who is it that's telling Nicodemus these things? It's not, you don't have to believe me. You don't have to, just because Jake said it, in fact, I encourage you, don't do that. But I do commend to you, John chapter one, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, the eternal God, the creator, the giver of life. That's the one who's telling Nicodemus, this is the true gospel. This morning, It's Jesus declaring to him and to you and to me, you must be born again. It's not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. It's a necessity. Jesus has kicked out all of our works, all of our religion, all of our righteousness, and says, you must be born again. Cry out to him. Cry out to him now. Do not give your soul rest. Until your heart has been born anew by the Spirit of God. And we'll talk more about that next Lord's Day.